I don't know about you, but when I started to realize as I was getting into this uh, book of Mark, it can be uh, quite exciting, <laughs> quite exciting, but challenging, but also pr- rather scary when you think about it, when we look at the scripture passage that we're going to uh, look at uh, this morning that Linda has um, just read to us. And so we're, the series that we're looking at is Walking with Jesus through the eyes of Mark. And that's really important to understand because out of the four Gospels, you will see that each, each one of them has a different perspective on how things and how Jesus did things, all the same, but from an eyewitness point of view. And it's interesting, if you go to a, uh, a car accident and if you're the policeman, you go up to Tim and say, uh, what sort of car it was? And Tim will say, oh, it was definitely a blue car. And so I go over to Anne and I go, so what sort of car was it? Oh, it was a red one. Um, it was a car, but you can get things slightly different. And you get the sceptics of the Bible say, well, you know, it's obviously, uh, you know, there's not truths there because they're coming from different perspectives. But they're eyewitnesses and eyewitnesses see things differently, but all inspired by the Holy Spirit. So put your seatbelts on this morning and get you involved in a few minutes' time or about an hour and a half's time so that you can kind of help me in something here because it's a really important subject, a subject that I think that many of us don't want to address. We don't want to believe it, but it's in the Bible. It's scriptural, and Jesus had to deal with it just like we do. Oh, spotlight on sport. That's good. And um, so that's good. I should have worn my makeup. I didn't realize that. (laughs) But last Sunday, we started to look and bring out a little bit John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist's uh, word was, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit or baptize you with fire, uh, some of them said. And and when we have that call to, to take up the cross, to take, not this literal cross here, but take up that which God has placed upon us and to follow him, we need to be aware of the dangers. We often think, oh, now I'm a Christian, I'm breathing celestial air, and that's wonderful. It really is. But there are good days and there are bad days. Whether you're a Christian or not, you'll have down days and you'll have up days. You'll have days where you're so excited about Jesus and there'll be other days where you're going, Oh, this is hard. This is hard. So there's a real challenge as we take up the ministry in the workplace, at school, or in the shopping centre, but even in the church. It's a challenge. It will not always be one of glory or celebration and success for somebody who's been in ministry for or has been a Christian for a long time. I know it's not always successful in my walk. So there's all those. But there'll be times in the Bible where it says we will be afflicted in every way but not driven to despair. We will be persecuted but not forsaken. Understand that in the day in which we're living today. We're persecuted. You may not say, oh, we're not being persecuted. Well, you start to unfold the things that are happening at the moment. We may not be physically being persecuted, but socially we are in Christian-wise We certainly are, but we're not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we're never destroyed. Keep that in your heart of hearts. We may be struck down at times, but we're not destroyed. 
You see, this ministry that we, that we like to model on Jesus, preaching and teaching and prophesying, also has to confront the ugliness of the opposition. We've got to understand that. There is an opposition. Church, we're not living on, we're not living on a play field. We're living on a battleground. That's what we need to understand. Sometimes we think it's all about swings and slides, but it's not. It's a battleground that we're on. And we need to take hold of that verse in Isaiah 54, 17, where it says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Understand that. No weapon, doesn't matter what it is that the enemy flings at you, no weapon that is formed against you is going to prosper. He may get something in the, in the short term, but in the long term, he's dead meat. All right, understand that. Often we stop there, but look at the last part of the verse, which is all so important. Sometimes we just stay, we're going to prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is for me. Strangely, the ugliness is not always found outside of these four walls, but often is found within our midst, even within us. Now, I'm going to touch on some slightly controversial areas, and I'm not going to go either way this morning, but I'm just going to open it out there for you because there's some stuff there that you'll go, I don't agree with that, and that's fine. I hope that you, if you don't agree with it, you work it through with me so that we can understand together because you might be right and I might be right. I like the Jewish ways. We're all right. They love it in their discussion. They come out of their great discussions and arguing like you wouldn't believe and then they go, at the end of the day, well, you're right and you're right and you're right. Let's come back next week. So it's okay. But you don't necessarily need to go very far to find the ugliness even within the four walls. There will always exist, always be a spiritual war going on that exists to hinder the work of God. And I have no doubt after being in ministry for well over 43 years now that Satan has a field day planting his angels in the midst of the congregation to undermine what God is trying to accomplish through his people. And some of you might not agree with that, and that's fine. They will come in the form of religious spirits or controlling spirits, if you like. You know, don't, desert, don't disturb my comfort zone. This is my church. Is it really? I didn't know that. I thought it was his church. Or well, one that is always common to ministers is, yeah, yeah, you ministers come and go, but we're the ones that keep my church going. I've heard that a number of times. Again, it's not my church, not your church. It's his. He's the head. There are envious spirits. You know, my, my gift is more important than yours. You know, I play the piano much better than you. I should be. Don't ever take that as, a, as gospel. It's not. You would never want to hear me on the piano, I can assure you. But you know what I mean? That Sometimes we, we're sitting back there, well, I could play better than that. Well, get up and play. Get onto the team. But there's that envious spirit that often exists in people's lives. We could go on and on and on, but there's deceiving spirits, there's lying spirits. 
They're operating in the church even today. And I'm talking about the universal church, folks. Hear me when I say that, but it can apply also locally. And this is what Jesus was confronting when he got up to speak. This is what he confronted. I wonder, how would you like it if I came to you and I said, I'd like you to preach next Sunday, but I've never preached before. That's okay, not a problem. Look, give it a go. And so next Sunday, you get up to preach. And all of a sudden, there was this disturbance as someone got up and said, let us alone. What have you to do? What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. How would you like that? How would you deal with that? Let me paraphrase that for today in today's setting. If you're a translator or a Bible teacher, just plug your ears for a minute, all right? (laughs) I'm going to put my own name in there because I don't want to embarrass anybody else. But if, if I said this, hey, let us be. Who do you think you are? We know who you are. You're that Paul Downey. And we know that you've been to Bali, Indonesia. We know that nothing good can come from there, don't we? Remember people said that about Jesus? Have you ever come to disturb our comfort zone? This is Kerrang, not Indonesia. They just relax over there, but not so here. And we know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is what Jesus confronted. Now I can hear some of you sceptics saying, oh, yeah, I'm sure that would happen in a service. (laughs) Just aside, one pastor in his early years of ministry, one day preaching his sermon, he'd just gotten well into the sermon when a baby started to cry right down in one of the front pews. And so the mother, very much embarrassed, snatched up the baby and started to walk out down the aisle and, I stopped right there in the midst of my sermon, he said. Madam, you don't have to take that baby out. He isn't bothering me. She said, no. Well, you're certainly bothering him. <laughs> Maybe a different type of disturbance, but you understand what the point that I'm getting at. Can I just grab that uh, glass down there? Thank you. I don't know what it is lately. I've been getting dry. <laughs> Folks, there will be times in church, there will be, there will be times in church when the Spirit of the Lord is evident and the anointing is flowing that the enemy will stir up people that they will get so agitated they will want to stand up and cry out just like this man did. I was leading a service in in Ballarat a number of years ago now. It was in my early days of uh, being a director of Youth for Christ, and we're opening up a new, uh, a new chapter in Ballarat. And uh, I asked this young man to play piano. He was brilliant. Most of you know Danny, Danny Criven, who was here, brilliant musician. This guy was better. He was just unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. So I asked him to, would he play an item at the service? He said, yeah, I'd love to. The place was packed. It was Probably three, four, five hundred people there. I, I don't know. Evangelistically, there was a thousand, but um, there was quite a number of people there. Um, and uh, so when I invited him up onto the stage to play, he came dressed in, in tails. You know what tails are, don't you? With the, 
you know, the things down there and they flip them up like that when they sit down or things like that. He came in tails and all dressed up like that and his hair done in a certain way and he went to the piano and he flipped up and he sat down and he started like this, you know, as some of these musicians do. And he started to play and he <laughs> Some of you older ones, older ones will remember this. Humphrey B. Bear. Do you remember Humphrey B. Bear? Is that, that's not still on, is it? No, but Humphrey B. Bear, he started to play the theme song of Humphrey B. Bear. And I'm thinking, this is interesting, because I knew what he was going to play. I knew that because he'd told me. But as he was midway through this theme song, all of a sudden I could hear this yelling by somebody. And I thought, this is part of his act. And then I looked at, uh, I looked at him and his face was going all different colours. And I went, this is not his act. So I thought, and, he, and he's looking at me going, like that, you see. So I came out onto the stage and I saw this man about halfway down, yelling at him, screaming at him. And I said, excuse me, sir, see me up the front. And so he did. He walked out and I walked out with him. It was actually out the back of the church. And as I walked out, he was confronting me, yelling at me. And in, this, in that spur of that moment... I said, in Jesus' name, stop. And he just stopped, just like that. And I said, if you're ever going to do that again, do it outside somewhere, but not in there, in the house of God. And if you want to go back in there, you'll go back in there very quietly and not say another word. I've never been as stern as that before in my life. But he did, he stopped. And he went back inside and there was no more disturbance. So how would we confront an issue like that here at Kerrang Baptist? Firstly, I would like to believe that I would handle it just like Jesus did. He simply said a command to the evil spirit, be quiet and come out. You see, Jesus knows the difference between the human and the spirit. And it's not that you speak to the person, you speak to the spirit. That's what Jesus did. And the emphasis here in the Greek has a, a very stern rebuke of this spirit. It's a strong rebuke of the evil spirit to say, or do anything in the presence of Jesus, that's a no-no. You see, it's not about me or the person, but everything to do with the evil spirit that is within. This is where we're getting on the dicey ground here. Now, I'm not going to go into the discussion on whether a Christian can be possessed or oppressed because I think there's a case for both. But that we'll leave that for another day. But here we find Jesus exercising his authority over the spirit world. He doesn't negotiate. He tells the spirit in uncertain terms, be quiet and come out. I've personally seen this happen on many occasions, not just in Indonesia, but here in Australia as well. The second way I want to share with you that we, I believe that we can deal with demons is simply to praise, to praise. Praise is one of the greatest weapons that we have as Christians in our armory, praise. In 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, pulling down strongholds. I'd love to preach on that one day. What does it mean to have a stronghold? Here's Paul is saying here, there are methods and ways of doing warfare, but we need to move from the defensive to the offensive. Understand that. We need to move from a defensive way, world, to an offensive way. There's no doubt that we as Christians need to be on the offensive in attacking Satan's kingdom. Church, as long as Satan keeps the church on the defensive, his kingdom will never be overthrown. And it's the same when we're starting to pray for issues like what's happening in the government on Tuesday. If we as Christians don't pray, nothing's going to happen. So don't come back after and say, oh, gee, this is it's got through the... No, 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 if you didn't pray, if we don't pray, it'll just go through. And if it does go through, God's still in control, regardless of the situation. But we need to go on the offensive. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we have a special prayer meeting on the first Sunday evening of the month, so that we can pray and ask God to intervene. That's why others have prayer times during the week, so they can pray and ask God to do something in these areas. When Jesus unveiled his plan for the church, he said to Peter after his great confession of faith in Jesus, and it's found in Matthew 16, 18, you are Peter, a stone upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I had this revelation this week because I've read that passage many, many times. I think I've preached on it a number of times. But it just dawned on me that for years, many have believed that we need to fight to keep Satan out of the church. And, and to a degree, that's right. That's correct. But according to Jesus, it's quite the opposite because according to Matthew 15, 16, it's actually Satan trying to keep us out because we are supposed to be storming the gates. I guess that's why I love the song that I learned a number of years ago when we had the privilege and opportunity of going to the States to a revival place over there. And they, they had this song that says, I went to the enemy's camp. And I took back that which was stolen from me. What has been stolen from you today? Maybe your joy. Maybe peace. Maybe relationships. Maybe finance. Family. And dare I say it up front, sexuality. So what can we do to get that back again? Praise. Praise. Often when people come into my office and, and talk about how they're feeling in this situation, depressed or whatever it might be, and I understand all that and work that through, but one of the things I say is, are you praising God? Are you listening to praise songs? Are you listening to worship songs? Or are you listening to what the world wants to throw into your mind? 
And I often send them away saying, try singing, try listening too. There's a song that we used to sing a number of years ago, Praise is the Power of Heaven. Praise is the power of heaven. Oh, praise is the power that opens the door to the King of Kings. And the second verse goes on, The powers of darkness shall flee as we praise and magnify thee. Oh, praise is the power that opens the door to the King of Kings. I love that. You know, when I get down, I just need to praise God. And it's hard sometimes. But we need to break through. And we need to push through and go deeper in God with praise. Friends, this is an incredible key of warfare. You know, someone said to me, I think it might have been about 12 months ago, it might have been a bit longer now, that they always turn up to church 15 minutes late because they don't want to go through all the singing. That's just as much a part of our worship as praying and having communion and having a sermon, or whatever it might be. It's all part and parcel of what... Because if we don't praise God, as I've said before, we don't praise God, creation will. And they are, I believe. The trees clap their hands, I think the psalmist says. You know when you go out in a windy night and you feel like they're doing this? I think it was uh, Louis Gigolo who um, introduced how the sounds of outer space and the whales combine. In their praise. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. And yet, we as Christians find it difficult to praise Him in church. Folks, when people of God come together in a time of praise and worship, it is the most powerful tool that we have in our armory. And by not doing it, We open ourselves up to the most unbelievable attacks from the enemy. It's not about whether I like the songs. It's not about whether I like the music or not or do I do it because I want to break through. It's not about that. You see, I don't like guns and hand grenades and sergeant majors shouting at me all the time, but if I'm faced with an enemy that's going to destroy me, then I might have to. Folks, praise and worship is not about me or the leader. It's not about me or the leader. Or even the songs that we sing because, you know, sometimes we go, oh, you know, well, wish we could sing the old hymns again. Well, that's okay. And some say, oh, we should be singing just the songs. Yeah, that's okay. To be honest, I like both. I like both because I've learned to grow with it. That doesn't mean we discard what's in the old because we learn from that. But don't just come up and say, oh, well, you know, the hymns are the only ones with theology in it and the songs don't. That's not true at all. It's not true. But there is great theology in the old hymns. I understand that. And I was brought up on hymns, so I understand that. But it's not about that. It's about me praising God, whether it's a hymn or a song or a prayer or whatever it might be, just giving praise to God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. In fact, when we praise Jesus, we actually create a seat or a throne for him to come down and to sit upon. You've got to understand that. When we praise God, it builds a throne for him to come. In Job 36, let me read this. How great is God! 
Beyond our understanding, the number of his years is past finding out. He draws up the drops of water, which distills as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from the pavilion? I guess that in school most of us listen to science. No? Some listen to science. That's probably a better way of putting it. But there is a principle called the rain cycle. The sun attracts the vapours from the rivers and the lakes and the ocean and those vapours go up and they form clouds, which we see. And the clouds fill, they condense and lower and send back the rain. We see that, we've seen that this week. And of course the rain makes the flowers to grow in your garden, crops to grow in Kerrang and around a place. Then of course grass grows at your place, so you've got to go out and mow the lawn. Now Job is actually explaining this same principle. When he says that God sends back rain according to the vapours that rises. And then he asked you this question, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds or the thunder of, the, of his canopy? Now, if I was to ask you this morning, how many of you have heard the thunder of his canopy? Some would say, yes, I have. Others will say, well, what do you really mean? Well, I'm going to try a simple exercise and I, I, I know you're going to participate because you're lovely people. It's not hard. Where's Anne? Where's Anne? Where's Anne? Doubt it. Oh, there she is. I'm glad you're on that side because they'll need it. And Max, you're on this side. They're going to need it. All right. But on, on this side, I, when, I, when I count three, I just want you to yell out, praise the Lord. All right. It's, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Can you do that? Now, you oldies, I know you're not supposed to say anything in church, but I'm giving you permission. It's okay, all right? It's okay, all right? So on the count of three, all you have to do is say, praise the Lord. One, two, three. Praise the Lord! Well, that was better than I thought. That's not bad. Okay. On this side, it's even easier. It's even easier, and you can outdo them without any problems. All you've got to say, yell out is hallelujah. Is that okay? Yeah. Just once. You don't have to say it in a hundred times, just once. One, two, three. Well, oh, gee, there's an echo out there too. Now, what, what I want you to do now in this exercise, when I count to three, I want you both to yell out from your side and your side what I've asked you to do. Let's do it. One, two, three. Okay. Very good. I'm impressed. I am impressed. That was really, really good. Now, that's praise. That's praise in its simplest form, okay? But where did it go? Where did it go? Did it just drop on the floor? Did it just go maybe six inches below the ceiling and then because of this ceiling, it's all boom, comes back? Well, in the realm of the spirit, that's vapour that rises up and forms a cloud over this place, if you like, okay, or wherever you are. And those clouds fill and condense in the heavenlies, all right? We're talking spiritual here. We're not talking physical. It then sends back the rain of his spirit, which manifests itself amongst us. So in other words, when we send up our praises, it forms the cloud. God bursts the cloud 
He sends back the rain of his spirit manifested amongst us, causes the rivers and the streams to flow again in your life and in the life of the church. So if a church refuses to praise God, the river stops, the flow stops. If I refuse as an individual to praise God, the rivers in my life cease to flow. You see, our, our, our problem in churches today is not dry services, but dry saints who refuse to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I've, I have come into churches, personally myself, feeling really low, feeling really heavy, but for some reason when the praise starts to tune up, I start to get released. And I go out of that door going, wow, I'm so glad I came this morning. So glad. Now, please don't take me wrong here. But when we refuse to send up the vapours to bring back rain in our services, in our personal lives, and in our marriages, in our relationships, it becomes an attitude dilemma. It's an attitude problem. I don't like this. I don't like that. Zechariah says, If my family shall not worship, they will have no rain. Hosea says, He shall come unto us as rain. And church, unless we become attuned to creating a climate where Jesus can sit in his rightful place, in the seat of praise, we will never experience the real reign of the Spirit. Nor will we see breakthroughs in certain people's lives. Folks, demons hate it when the people of God praise Jesus. That's who it goes to, not to you and to me. It goes to him. Praise Jesus. Because praise is focusing our hearts and our minds on God. In fact, it allows us to take our minds off our focus of our own problems and our own shortcomings and helps us to focus in on him, on him. Lifts our perspective from the earthly to the heavenly. Now, please don't take me wrong here in in what I'm saying this morning because I'm not advocating that anyone with a problem or who who speaks out is demonised. That's not what I'm advocating. Nor am I a person who believes that there's a demon under every rock. Or when somebody comes forward for prayer and they cough, ah, another demon's come out. No, 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 no. That is not where I'm coming from. I don't see that scripturally. With some people, it can be a learnt behaviour. And both Annie and myself have seen that in a church where we were. They had a learnt behaviour that had to speak out and yell out. But it wasn't a demon. Others, I believe that it's an attitude that is developed out of hurt or simply not getting my own way. Sometimes I see that in, in deacons' meetings and elders' meetings when somebody's not getting their own... I'm not talking about Kerrang Baptist, by the way, it's okay. I know some minister says we've got to go to a demons' meeting tonight when they meant <laughs> deacons' meeting. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying, don't you? 
I'm just trying to lighten it up a bit, that's all, because I know you're going, to, you're going, where's he going? But there are those cases, as we can see in our scriptural passage today, where it is clearly seen as someone who is demon-possessed and they're in the church. And Jesus uses authority and says, go, go. And I don't believe he, he may have just said go or he may have yelled it out too. I don't know. It doesn't say. Church, I don't have any problems believing that we live in a very evil world. We are. We are no longer known as a Christian country. Haven't been known for many years now as a Christian country. I know what it's like to be told by a converted high priest from a satanic church in Geelong that the church where I was pastoring was their number one hit list. And the other two, second and third, were pastors where I was a pastor as well. So look out, Kerrang Baptist, I'm here. Just want to let you know that because the enemy hates it when we preach on things like this. He hates it. And I think we've been attacked this week. I know that we have. But we've come out on top because God is our strength. He's our strength. You say, I know what it's like to be confronted in a local supermarket, car park, and with demon eyes through this person say to me, back off or you're dead meat, Pastor. <clears throat> I knew that he was recently out of prison. And I knew that he was having an affair with a lady who was in our ch- was in our church and her husband's still in our church. I knew that. But I also know my authority in Jesus. And my Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that. So when I discern that, this is a demon speaking and not, not the man, I will rise up in Jesus every time and take my authority in him. Now, I don't know what this man saw. I, don't, I never, never went down that line of what he saw that day. But he backed off and then he apologised. I have this belief also that God has protective angels around us. I I have that belief. I've had people tell me that. Some people who can see in the realm of the Spirit see things like that. I haven't seen that, but I know people who can. A good friend of mine who we had for a crusade in Geelong was confronted by a man on the streets with a gun, and this guy just backed off and dropped his gun and ran. And when he... They eventually found this guy. They said, well, what did you drop your gun for in rain? He said, well, you had these two big monsters beside you. My friend Steve, Ann and myself know Steve. I didn't see them. But just see, God has his protective angels around us. Gee, I'm getting on some dicey ground today, aren't I? Good. <laughs> see, it really doesn't matter... Church, I'm sorry, but it doesn't really matter whether you believe this to be true or not at this point. The point is that people in the New Testament times did. In fact, you will still hear people say the poor old devil, and that comes out of that. 
background. I didn't want to go into that today. But it's left over from the old belief that when a person believed themselves to be demon-possessed, even though knowing they were conscious of it themselves, but aware that there was restraints and controls within them. So you, you pick it up yourself. There's something going on here that doesn't seem right to me. I'm being restrained or I'm doing things that, and whatever that I might be. So maybe this explains why the demons possessed in Palestine so often cried out when they saw Jesus. They knew that Jesus is being believed by a growing number of his followers as the Messiah, which would eventually herald their end. They knew that. They know the end. Jesus, with one word of clear, simple, brief authority, delivered the demon out of this man. And nobody had ever seen anything like this before. The power is in Jesus' name. The same man that died upon a cross like this was buried and rose again. He's got power over death, hell and the grave. Folks, when Jesus by his Holy Spirit moves in the midst of a congregation, there will also be people who will say, what on earth is happening here? But notice what verse 28 is. I draw to a conclusion now. And the news about Jesus spread quickly in the area of Galilee. I love that. When we get on fire for God, everybody will hear about it. Somewhere along the track as a church, we need to learn how to praise our God so that when we send up the vapours of praise, it will result in the rain of his spirit coming down like this church has never seen before. I was talking to a man on the phone this past week who spent a lot of time up in, in the Darwin area amongst the Aboriginals. One weekend saw 200 people being baptised as the Spirit of God hit this Aboriginal community. It's interesting, isn't it? Even when Lazarus was raised from the dead, there were still people who didn't believe. See, miracles don't necessarily affect you or me or whoever. It affects the person where the miracle happens. That's wonderful, but it doesn't necessarily affect everybody else. Church, let's not put up our spiritual umbrellas and stop that flow of his spirit either into our own personal lives or into the life of this church. I was out this week and I had to use an umbrella to stop the physical rain getting onto me. <laughs> but you know, when it comes to the spiritual rain, I'll throw that at every time because I just want the spirit of God just to rain down upon me. Let's pray. Then the worship team might like to come. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much that you want to show us every aspect of your walk. And Lord, there are times when we see great, wonderful things happen and we're excited about it. But there are also other times, Lord, when you had to confront things like demons in the church. 
But Lord, you've given us weapons of warfare to each one of us. And Lord, I pray this morning if there's anybody who's battling with just dealing with something. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a sin that you're dealing with, you know. It could be just plain life. Sometimes life sucks. But Jesus is there right beside you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And maybe you need to learn how to praise. Maybe you just need to learn to move into praise and worship in your personal life. Maybe when you come to church, you need to say, God, I'm going to praise you as loud as I can now because I want the rain to come down upon this church. We're not just going to sing songs or hymns. We're going to sing praises unto you, regardless of the words, because, Lord, that's what we want to do. Because you're our king. You're the Lord of our lives. We owe you so much, Lord, because you paid the debt for us at Calvary. You cancelled out our sin. And so, Lord, what more could I do but to say thank you, Lord? I praise you for who you are. Praise you for your wonderful love. Praise you, thou God, that you saved me from a lost eternity. And, Lord, I praise you that you've given me hope for eternity. And, Lord, regardless of how long I live, I live with the hope that I will spend that time face to face with you, Lord Jesus, with many that have gone before me. But, Lord, today I need the reign of your spirit in my life. Pour it out, Lord. Pour it out upon us, Lord. Regardless of whether we're Baptist or whoever or whatever, Lord, it doesn't really matter to you. We're all part of your family. So, Lord, open up the windows of heaven. Pour out that blessing, O oh God, upon us this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As Linda comes back to lead us in just one more song to finish with, if you need prayer this morning, we're going to open up the altar every Sunday, every Sunday, regardless. And if anybody needs prayer for whatever it might be, it may be something that God has spoken to you this morning, and you just say, look, I, I just need some prayer in that area. Don't be afraid of that. There'll be those of us down the front, and I'm not going to do it all, but there'll be those down the front who are going to pray that God will pour out his rain upon that situation in your life. Whatever the old devil has stolen, let's get it back. Let's get it back, church. Amen? Amen. Amen.